The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. A little quick local news here for the Cincinnati area. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its second meeting for the month of June tomorrow night. The main meeting is about everybody's favorite strategy, wholesaling houses. It's uh, an hour and a half on things like how it works and what you will need to do if you want to wholesale houses and how your buyers look at deals and all sorts of stuff that you need to know to be successful in the 2017 market. The early meeting is divided between the topic, why I buy houses so ugly you wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. That's by my partner, Mr. Drew, who's going to talk about how he gets houses that people literally are giving away because they are just so bad (laughs) in such marginal neighborhoods and how he makes money on them, even though sometimes the repair costs exceed the value of the property. And then the other meeting uh, at six o'clock is intro to team building how to find the folks that will make you rich with Jerry Fink. Tomorrow night's meeting is guest night, which means anyone can attend at no charge. All you have to do is RSVP at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. If you show up at 530, there's even a complimentary dinner, light dinner. So you don't even have to go home before you come to the meeting. So I uh, hope to see you there tomorrow night. Our topic today is IRA investing, or let me say, let me say, um, tax-free and tax-deferred plan investing, which sounds uh, a whole lot less interesting than it actually is. Here to here to help us really understand uh, why it is so important to have these tax-deferred plans set up and then to actually use them to do our real estate deals within these plans is Mr. Bob Dressman. Bob has been a full-time real estate investor since 1991. He's been a principal in somewhere north of a thousand deals. He's with Heritage Financial Services here in the greater Cincinnati area. And get this, for the second week in a row... Our guest is joining us from vacation in Mexico. See how awesome real estate investing is? Uh, Everybody's in Mexico all the time, apparently. Bob, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
Good morning or good afternoon, Dana. <laughs> Might be morning where you are, but it is. <laughs> It is most definitely five o'clock here. So um, we appreciate you taking the time out uh, of your vacation here and and should probably mention that it's not that you're a workaholic. It's that (laughs) it's that uh, this was our one chance to uh, get you on the air before you appear at Cincinnati, Rhea, on July the 6th, I believe is the date uh, where you're going to give a. A, present, a presentation on 401ks and self-directed 401ks and why are, they are the awesomest thing. Uh, and so you know, to give people a heads up to plan to be in Cincinnati on the 6th for that. Uh, but the thing is, Bob, every time I see you talking to a knot of people, whether you're at a conference or a RIA meeting or whatever, it seems to me like what you are, what you were kind of haranguing them to do all the time is to open up and use a self-directed retirement plan, and yet you don't sell self-directed retirement plans. So, so why are you such like a like a passionate advocate of doing this? Well, so there are fundamentals to um, what makes these plans great is um, compounding interest, which is um, what Ben Franklin called the eighth wonder of the world. So a couple of simple examples to sort of illustrate um, both what compounding interest, how powerful it is, and then secondly, how powerful it becomes or how even more powerful it becomes in a self-directed account um, where it can either be tax-free until it comes out or tax-free forever, um, depending on the type of account you set up. So if you take $10,000 and invest it, at 10% interest, at the end of 20 years, you end up with $67,000 if you are in a um, tax-free account. Now, if you invest it and have to pay the tax on it every year, you only end up with $40,000. Now, it becomes a little more startling um, if uh, you do it over, if you can bump the return, which is why I like the self-directed accounts because I can choose my investments and that I'm not limited to just investing in um, stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And so if you can get 15% um, in a tax-free account, you end up with $163,000. Whereas if you're paying the tax every year, you only end up with $77,000. So you end up with less than half of the money. Um, in that case. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners who might not actually be in the world of real estate at the moment, is 15% a realistic number? I consistently get significantly better than that on all of my accounts. Um, you can pretty much count on 8 to 10% in the stock market, which is what most people do. But as you get more actively involved in real estate, getting 15% just isn't that hard. So having having just hopefully blown people's heads off with the difference between having to pay taxes on your income every year and having to legally, by the way, not pay taxes every year, we should also say that nobody 
and, and everybody I know who does the math agrees with this, nobody is going to grow their retirement account to a point where they can really live on it for, say, 30 years post-retirement. Because, I mean, that's a possibility these days is that you could live 30 years after you stop working simply by making contributions and sort of letting the contributions sit there in the usual passive investments, right? Mutual funds, bank accounts, that sort of thing. And I know you're a big advocate of taking taking some of the deals that you're doing on a day-to-day basis anyway and doing them in the IRA or 401k or CISA or you know what which whichever plan you're going to use which we will we'll talk a little bit more about that um, after the break there's one thing though that people must 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 do before they can think about taking that step so uh, let's talk a little bit about this idea of the self-directed plan and the fact that everyone thinks they've got a self-directed IRA but they actually don't absolutely so when people think of as a self-directed IRA is that they get to choose which stock fund they put their money in. Now, and so with your traditional big name brokerage type of firms, and probably almost any place where you would have a retirement account that employer, um, they're going to significantly limit um, what they're allowed to do into investments basically that they understand and that really don't require much work or effort on their part. Um, now, you know, there is a whole group of um, custodians that don't take that approach. Now, their fees are going to be a little more expensive, but according to the, the IRS basically has a list of what you're not allowed to invest in. So, like, you're not allowed to buy artwork. You're not allowed to buy wine um, with your IRA funds. Um, and they have some other things, but you can invest in everything else. So you can invest in real estate um, without a problem. You can invest in notes. Um, and so th- those are the type of things that I traditionally like to do with my self-directed IRA accounts. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Bob Dressman, who has been a very successful IRA investor, a retirement fund tax-free plan investor over the course of the last few decades and is here to uh, talk to you about things that you might do to get started on that because the sooner the better. Doesn't matter how old you are, it's better to start now than to wait even longer. He's also here to answer your questions at 877-772-9658, or by email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to investor slash hard money lender slash property manager slash just he does he does all sorts of stuff within his own business but he's here today to talk about self-directed plans and uh it's bob dressman and we are taking questions at 877-772-9658 or via our website or our our, uh, sorry our um, email at askvina at gmail.com so uh 
Bob, you let's let's if folks want to hear like the real detailed stuff about like what are the income limits for having an IRA and what how what's the maximum contribution you can make to a SEP and all those technical things, we've got several uh, shows in the archives at realliferealestate.com. Uh, folks just need to search for Equity Truster John Bowen. Um, he's done a number of shows with us talking about those kind of technical issues. And what I really wanted to talk to you about today was more uh, sort of how you have taken that and, and, and used it. And we should start by saying you pretty much jumped on this as soon as it was, uh, particularly Roth IRAs, as soon as they were available, right? Absolutely. I found it, I, you know, it was many, many, I believe it was the late nineties when they first came available and started right away. And uh, I also jumped on the, um, when I found out about the CISA accounts, which it, a CISA account is like an IRA except for education. Um, and so you invest money for um, your children's education um, in there. And for with my kids, I, ha- I currently have four kids. Um, two are going to be in college, one in high school and one in grade school. So this coming year, I'll have $70,000 worth of tuition that will be paid out of the kids' visa accounts. Um, and the only reason that can happen is, is we've been very diligent about um, both putting money into those accounts and investing it over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot better to have that money come from compound of interest than out of money you have to work to earn mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah, right. I think I think one of the one of the things that folks who don't write their own checks for income taxes at the end of the year, like us self-employed people, yeah, you know, most most people their their the bulk of their taxes is withheld from their paycheck, and if anything, they look at tax time as a time to receive money, not to give money, and I think that it it is easy to get lost if, if that is your is that, if that is your current position it's easy to lose the fact that in order to pay seventy thousand dollars worth of kids tuitions they actually have to make a hundred thousand dollars absolutely and maybe even think way more than that and assuming that you're planning on living and whatnot so yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, talk a little bit more about the the CISA. It's a it's a Coverdale Education Savings Account for folks who are trying to Google it right now and going CISA. What? How do you spell that? It's C E S A. Talk a little bit uh, more about that and how it's different or the same as an IRA. Um, well, there. Are, um, so, with a CISA account or Coverdale Education Savings Account. Uh, at this point, I believe you're allowed to put in $2,000 per year um, per child. And that money that you put in is not tax deductible. However, that money then compounds within that CISA account tax-free until it comes out. And as long as it comes out to pay for what they call a qualified educational expense, then you don't pay tax on that money at all. Um, and I think the rule is that it needs to come out by the time the kid reaches 26, or you are allowed to roll it over to a sibling. And I think there are some technical rules that you can even roll it over to 
cousins and other what they consider relatively close relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by getting that money in there, and the other interesting thing about those accounts is the IRS's definition of what is considered an educational expense is a lot more than just tuition. Um, I've seen people who've said, you know, you can buy a computer that the kid's going to take to school. Um, and so anything that can probably reasonably be considered an educational expense um, is eligible to be, that money is eligible to be used for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is uh, including if they're going to a parochial school as a as a Absolutely. grade school student yeah. all the way up to graduate education and postgraduate if they can figure out how to get out by the time they're 26. <laughs> yes. So, so, I mean, so my one daughter is in college now and hoping to go on to med school. So hopefully I'll be able to pay some of her med school tuition from her CESA account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the the definition that of what you're allowed to pay for with a CISA account is broader than with um, other type of education account that's out there, which is called a 529 plan. Um, and with that, I believe you're only allowed to pay for college tuition and not of the other associated expenses. Mm-hmm. So um, the CISA account is better um, because it has that broader definition of what you can pay for. So folks who have kids that they expect to either go to some sort of a private school or to college and who know how to invest in real estate and who think they're going to be paying for those kids would be sort of dumb not to have a CISA. Absolutely. One of the best things you can do. All right. Very good. Now, the, the, other, the other thing that um, I have heard you say often, and I think this is actually the, the, the entire subject of your talk at the Cincinnati Real Estate Investors Association on June, on July the 6th, is that given the choice of a self-directed IRA, which a lot of people know about, and a self-directed 401k, which not so many people know about, you have a really strong preference in that regard. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so, so where, when you are investing in any sort of self-directed um, tax, for your tax-deferred entity, there's a very, very specific set of rules as to what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and so one of the things you're not allowed to do is engage in prohibited transactions. It's going to stay the same across the different types of accounts. Now, with a 401k, and so one of the things that happens with an IRA account is that um, that account is going to be set up with a custodian, and that custodian is going to have um, the money in their account, and then when you make an investment, you fill out a set of paperwork that you send to them um, and direct them to send the money to wherever it's be invested. Um, and, and so with a lot of people, they find that process to be somewhat cumbersome. Now, understand, before I discovered self-directed 49Ks, and to a large extent, I still do that process on 
most likely a weekly basis. So it's not really that difficult. It's, you know, are you able to answer a list of 20 questions and send that information into a custodian? But a lot of people do find that cumbersome. So with a self-directed 401k, you are allowed or you are considered the trustee of that 401k account. And because of that, as the trustee, you actually set up a bank account in the 401k's name. And with that um, bank account, when you want to go and make an investment, you have a checkbook and you write a check to pay for whatever expenses the investment incurs. And so a lot of people find that um, process to be much simpler. Now, secondly, if you are making a lot of money in a self-employed arena, you are able to contribute a lot more money to a self-directed 401k. Um, the contribution limits, I think, for an IRA are in the five to $6,000 um, range, whereas for a 401k, they are many, many multiples of that. Um, so you're able to take a lot more of your investment money and move it off of the table where you have to pay tax. Um, on the return get. Mm-hmm. And then um, with the, um, going back to the prohibited transactions, in an IRA, if you engage in what is considered by the IRS to be a prohibited transaction, it has the, the penalties for that are applied to the entire account and it's come pretty close to entirely wiping out the account. Whereas with a 401k, if you would accidentally engage in a prohibited transaction, the penalties only apply to that one single transaction and the money that was involved in that, not to the entire account. Um, So in a lot of ways, the 401k is just a lot more powerful account. That last thing you said is huge because because we have a we have a a common friend uh john Heyer, who's an attorney who mostly anymore defends people's iras in tax court and um he is if if he were on right now <laughs> he would be he would be saying you know a lot of real estate investors think they're smarter than the IRS and that and they do these things that only barely skirt the rules but the IRS is looking for ways to collect the taxes on these especially the Roth IRAs and uh you'll lose 60% of the value of your IRA if you do if you do something that the that the IRS decides violated the prohibited transactions rules. You'll just get handed back 40% of your money and they'll take the rest. So the fact that the 401k can, you know, you can make an error and only pay for that error and not pay for everything else you did uh, is really big. That's yeah, absolutely huge. Um, and the, and particularly, I think, because it also when a lot of people listen to um, John talk about how important it is to actually be compliant and do the things you're supposed to do and not do the things you're not supposed to do, they end up just, when they hear the comments, 
those making a mistake down and don't do anything, um, which is absolutely the worst thing that can happen. And so in the 401k account, um, you know, you have the ability to make that error and have that not be so devastating, which would hopefully give you the confidence to actually go out and do more things mm-hmm. um, and keep that money working hard for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have gotten uh, what I will describe as a boatload of questions uh, from the email address at askvina at gmail.com. So before we start tackling these, we are going to go ahead and take a quick break, invite anyone else who's got questions about self-directed plans from health savings accounts to IRAs to 401ks to education savings accounts, to either give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email. Just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Bob Dressman, who is not an attorney and isn't here to represent that he's, you know, the the last word in what you should do with your IRA, but is just somebody who has done what we all know we need to do and say we're going to do, but often don't get around to doing. And that is actually setting up and using uh, these tax-free accounts that are provided for us by the U.S. Congress, you know? I mean, um, uh, there's there's all sorts of them out there. Which one you get for yourself kind of depends on your needs and what you're getting from work. You know, for instance, I don't get health insurance from work because my boss is, man, she is so mean. So I have to set up my own self-directed health savings account and put in my contribution every year and then do deals with it so that my contrib- so that the amount of money in my health savings account equals the amount of my huge deductible because they don't actually let me put enough money in that account to meet my deductible every year there's the basic rule is anything that you can legally do in real estate out in the world you can legally do in real estate within your self-directed plan as long as you um follow the rules okay and the rules that's where you that's where you get into talking to your self-directed custodian your attorney etc uh bob bunches of questions here so we'll just start at the first one that came in uh this one is from bill who says i am very interested in buying properties via my iras but i have no idea of how to get started doing this uh thoughts on pros and cons of doing this would be appreciated okay so the, step, the first step to buying a property in your self-directed IRA is you need to have the money in there to do it. And that account needs to be with a custodian that is um, um, willing to let you hold the title to the property in that account. Now, um, the second thing that is sort of a common misconception for a lot of people is they say, well, I have this property, and I'd like to put it in my IRA. Well, you can't do that. So one of the things you're not allowed to do is self-deal. So if it's something you already own, you can't move that property over into your IRA. So you would have to be buying a new property. And that with that property, the contract is going to be written in the name of your IRA. 
the earnest money is going to come from your IRA, and it's going to be titled in the name of your IRA. Um, so now with dealing with um, real estate in your IRA, it's a little more cumbersome than just owning it on your own. And so, especially if it's a rental, it's probably a good idea um, to have a property management company that's going to manage that property for you. Um, that really simplifies a lot of things. Um, so, and the other thing I would really encourage you to do is a lot of the custodians that have um, these type of accounts have a lot of really good educational material. Um, that walk you through step-by-step step what you need to do. Um, so I would encourage you to explore a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, a uh, question here from JC. He says, how do I get a solo 401k if I don't currently have an operating business or I am otherwise self-employed? Actually, I think I just read okay. that wrong. I think I put the emphasis in the wrong place. I think what he's saying is, if he's not self-employed and doesn't have an operating business, can he do a 401k? Uh, and the answer is no, but it's not that hard to get a little bit of self-employment income because you need, you know, a hundred or five hundred or a thousand dollars worth of self-employment income to be considered self-employed. Um, and so, you know, go out something. It's not like that has to be the only thing you do. And then once you have that self-employment income, then you can uh, get a solo 401k. And once you have that solo 401k, um, you are then allowed to roll over other 401k accounts you have to that. And you are able to roll over traditional IRA accounts to that. Now, you are not allowed to roll over uh, Roth IRA accounts to that solo 401k. But if you have a traditional account, you can roll that over to the um, solo 401k and do the Roth conversion where you essentially pay the tax on that money. And then that money then becomes a Roth 401k. Very good. Question from Gina. How can I make a good return on real estate type investments if I'm new to having an IRA and can only contribute around $6,000 to one in the first year? And and Bob, this is, I'm, I'm just going to make a, a editorial comment on Gina's question here. This is the thing that I think stops people. Year after year after year, they don't make a contribution to their IRA because they're like, what can I do really with $6,000? I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me like 10 years before I have enough money to buy a house. I thought one time I heard you about like 30 things you could do under $5,000 in your <laughs> IRA account or something. Um, so you should go listen to Venus talk. Um, <laughs> one of the, my favorite things... Um, to do with my um, self-directed accounts. It's what's called a hard money loan. So with my hard money loans, I charge five discount points. Fire. 15% interest. I assume people on a loan that I make that has a six-month loan. So ideally, I would be able to do two of those a year. Um, and there are a fair number of people out there um, that are either buying a property and don't have quite all the money or bought a property and paid cash and out of rehab money. 
Um, so I think doing a hard money loan would be a good thing to consider doing with that. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, as with everything, it, you got to let people know that you're looking for the investment. Absolutely. You can't just sit there with your $6,000 and wonder why no one is coming to you and saying, can you, can you make me a loan? And um, Gina, I would, I would add to that, uh, again, just about anything that you can legally do in real estate, you can do in your self-directed plan, okay? So the things that you could do out in the world, if you didn't have $6,000, if you didn't have more than $6,000, you can also do inside your IRA if you didn't have more than $6,000. You can, you can, you can wholesale deals, although there's, there's a couple little rules that you need to learn about that before you jump into that. You could buy a house with low money down and owner financing as long as the owner would do a non-recourse loan to your IRA. You could buy an option on something. You could flip a note. There's, I don't think there's, I don't think I could come up with 30 things easily that you could do with $6,000, <laughs> but I could come up with a dozen pretty quickly. And, and if you, I, I don't know, Bob, it seems like, it seems like no matter how many times one says, everything that's legal outside your IRA is legal inside your IRA. People have a really hard time getting around this idea that somehow I need a hundred grand to go buy a rental property with. So in like the one thing you could do if you just like to do is you can come to the RIA meeting on Thursday night and in the buy sell trade desk and stand up and say, I have $6,000 in my self-directed IRA account that I'm looking to make a loan with. If anybody's interested, come and talk to me. And I'll bet you a nickel that you'd have half a dozen people that would come up and talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Especially, and, now maybe, you know, maybe if, if folks who are listening from California <laughs> might have a hard time finding that loan. But <laughs> folks from flyover country here are not going to have a difficult time finding somebody who's who's five grand short of being able to complete a deal themselves and would love to make you a partner or a lender or something with your $5,000 or your $6,000. Right. Yeah. And just the biggest thing with both real estate investing and self-directed real estate investing is probably the absolutely most important thing that you do is you get started and start doing something. And when you do that, there is a good chance you will make a mistake. But making mistakes is perfectly fine as long, you know, because you can then do is learn from those mistakes and move forward. And just sort of when you're out there and doing things on a daily basis, you learn a lot more and you get a lot more opportunities coming to you. All right, uh, we do have a couple more questions backed up here in the queue, but we do need to take uh, one more break here. So, again, listeners, let me invite you. If you absolutely want to make sure your question gets answered, you need to call us right now at 877-772-9658. If you're willing to take the risk that the email doesn't get here, you can still send one to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, running up on being out of time here, which tells us how much interest there is in 
doing doing the same. Okay, so so you are. I'm talking to you, listeners. You are doing this real estate thing partly so that you can have a more comfortable retirement than Social Security and your pension, if you still have one, is going to allow. And yet you're doing it in a way where you're being taxed on it instead of just going ahead and putting it in the retirement plan, because that's I mean, that's when you're planning on using the money anyway, is after you retire. And it's got to stop. And, and it's not going to stop unless you do something about it. Nobody's going to show up at your door tomorrow morning and force you to open up a self-directed IRA and start doing deals in it. So um, opportunities to learn more about that. July 6th here in Cincinnati, Bob's going to do an hour at the Cincinnati RIA meeting on uh, 401ks and how they work and how he does deals in them. And then August the 12th and 13th, Cincinnati RIA is sponsoring a two-day workshop on IRA investing that's going to get just dig into kind of all the details, have a lot of people there talking about deals they've done in their IRAs. So if you're looking for the kind of kick in the rear that you need to stop talking about it and start doing it, might want to consider one of those things. Okay, Bob, back to the questions. Question here from Ben in Cincinnati. Ben says, does Bob hold or recommend holding rentals in his IRA? I understand that self-management is prohibited. Is that correct? Okay. So um, rentals can be a great thing to hold. Um, And the question about managing them yourself, different custodians have different opinions on that. The real question is basically you are not allowed to provide a service to your IRA. And some people say that managing a property is providing a service, and some people say it's not. So very clearly, you know, the toilet breaks at your rental that's in your IRA. You are not allowed to go to buy a toilet, take it to your rental, and replace it. Um, but management is sort of one of those things that's a little fuzzier, um, and we don't have any real good tax court decisions on that. Um, now, as a practical matter, you're probably better off just hiring a management company. Um, it greatly reduces the chance of you um, engaging in a prohibited transaction, and it also simplifies some of the day-to-day activities. And also, probably in the long run, um, it frees you up to do the thing that you should be doing, which is going out and making deals rather than dealing with tenants yelling at you their air conditions broken when it's 95 degrees outside. Um, so that's sort of my advice for that situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, f- uh, second to last question, unless uh, somebody out there has another one they would like to ask. And this is, this is a little bit along the lines of the question we got a little bit earlier from Gina. It says, ask Bob, if he was starting over today with only $10,000 in his self-directed accounts, how would he utilize that to best grow and protect his investments, but do it quickly? So starting with $10,000, I'd probably try and option a piece of property um, that has significant growth potential. And um, then resell that option. Uh, other thing I might do is take a chunk of it and make um, what's called a participating loan, 
Um, so a participating loan is a loan that you make where you lend money to somebody and you're going to charge them an interest rate, but in addition to the interest rate, um, you can charge them what's called a, per, a percentage of the profits. So by that, that would give you the ability to grow the money really quickly. Um, the other thing I might do is um, buy a property with leverage. So like try and find an owner that's willing to um, let me um, purchase their property and um, the owner going to finance that property in a non-recourse type of loan. Now, if I was going to do that, I'd really try and do that in a self-directed 401k um, because if you're going to do that in a regular IRA, um, you're going to be subject to um, what they call UBIT, unrelated business income tax. Um, so it's a lot better to do that transaction in a 401k account. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, a last question did, well, maybe not the last question, we'll see, uh, did come in here from Karen. Karen says, did I hear Vina say that she invests in real estate in her health savings account? How do you pay for your medical bills if your money is tied up in real estate? <laughs> That's actually a great question. And uh, Bob, we should probably take a minute or two and and talk a little bit about the HSAs because they are like the best deal going. Like I, I, (laughs) well, I did a, I did a, I did a little, I did a little analysis at the beginning of 2016. I had some cash, and I was, I was, you know, thinking about maybe putting in something other than real estate for once. And I was sort of going through all my options with the stock market and you know funds and this and that. And then um, somebody pointed out to me that you're not going to get a better return than by contributing money to your HSA. Yeah. So the cool thing with an HSA is that the money going into it, you get a tax deduction for, and the money coming out of it, you don't have to pay tax on. So it is the type of account that, you know, is the most advantageous for everybody. So now you can, what you can do, and then the other thing that's, well, there are two, or multiple other things that are important with HSAs. The first is that with an HSA account, I was incredibly frustrated because I thought, well, this is great, but my wife works for Children's Hospital. And with Children's, you know, they're not going to let me do crazy things with their HSA account. Um, but I was at one of the IRA conferences, like you were talking about, that Cincinnati is having in August. And at that point, I heard one of the speakers say that you are allowed to have multiple HSA accounts as long as you don't exceed the contribute or the maximum contribution limit on all of the accounts combined. So if you're you have an HSA account through your employer and your employer contributes two thousand dollars a year to that account and you have a family high deductible plan, you can then set up your own HSA account that's self-directed and put, I think, roughly $4,500 in that account and then use that money to invest. And then with HSA accounts, you can reimburse yourself for medical expenses that you have had at any time since that account was open. So the one thing you can do is that 
like if you have all your money in the HSA in the middle of the deal, you can wait and reimburse yourself a couple of years down the road from now and therefore get the benefit of that money compounding within the HSA for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yes, the answer to your question, Karen, <laughs> is that, uh, yeah, my a lot of my HSA money is invested in various deals, although they they tend to be more short term. I don't have like rental properties in my HSA. Uh, but that means all that means is that I can save up my bills. And when one of these deals turns back into cash, which it will tend to do at some point, uh, I can just reimburse myself for bills I've already paid. Which is the which is the sort of little detail thing, right? That is why you have to kind of get educated and stay educated on HSAs and CSAs and IRAs and four hundred one ks. Because um, Bob, as you well know, the rules are kind of changing all the time. Both both the both the actual rules, but also the if if you will the the um, the philosophies around it, right? Uh, the the IRA custodians and the attorneys who work with them might say one thing this year and feel differently about it next year because of some tax court ruling that nobody heard about, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, and and so, you know, that's why, you know, paying attention to what the different custodians are saying and coming to the Real Estate Investors Association meeting and going to conferences where um, people who do this type of a thing on a regular basis both talk and you could just meet other people in the audience and see what they're doing and, you know, discuss the problems that you're having with those people um, so that you can figure out a way to move forward and get things done with your accounts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, Bob, appreciate you taking an hour out of your fun and sun on the beach there in Cancun to help folks understand why they need to take action on this and stop just talking about it. We'll see you here at the Re of Cincinnati meeting on July 6th for your presentation about uh, 401ks and how to um, start and grow those with your real estate investing business. And uh, for all you listeners, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music> 